how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. This week on The Colin and Samir Podcast, we're joined by our good friend, Jack Coyne. If you've been watching us for a while, you probably remember when we made a whole series about a road trip that we took with Jack back in 2018. That road trip actually ended up on the trending page of YouTube. Ever since that road trip, we've been very close friends with Jack. We've collaborated on numerous projects and really have just had an incredible friendship since then. This is Jack's third time on our podcast. So if you want some context on our relationship with Jack or just want to go back and hear about our experiences when we took that road trip, you can go back and listen to the other episodes. But quickly, here's a history on Jack. Jack reached out to Casey Neistat back when he was in college and ended up interning for him. From there, Jack worked on some of Casey's biggest projects and eventually helped him start his social media app, Beam. And that's how Colin and I met Jack. Over the past few years, Jack has launched his own YouTube channel as well as his own production company that has recently been rebranded as his brother has joined to Coin Brothers Productions. On this episode, we talked to Jack about his career on YouTube as well as his new production company. We talk about some of the downfalls of making content strictly for YouTube and talk about falling back in love with the craft of storytelling and filmmaking. We talk about what it means to have a production company and the difference between a craftsman and an artist. We also get really personal with Jack and talk about how some of the moments that he's experienced over the past couple of years, especially with his family, have changed his perspective on life. Overall, Jack is just an incredible friend, an incredible filmmaker, and uh, an awesome guest on our podcast. If you want to watch this episode, it's up on our podcast channel, so you can just type in the Colin and Samir podcast. You can watch the episode on YouTube. I definitely recommend it because Jack has bleached hair and a mullet, so definitely go check out the video version of this podcast. If not, then listen to it here on the audio version and then pop over there so you can leave a comment. Let us know what you think about the podcast. We crossed over 8,000 subscribers on the podcast channel, which is awesome. We are well on our way to our goal of 10,000 subscribers on that channel before the end of the year. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Colin and Samir podcast featuring Jack Coyne. All right, dude. Third time on the podcast. First time on video, the third time on the podcast. Your number one guest. Number yeah. one guest. You, yeah, you're actually essentially the third co-host. Yeah, that's why they, you guys, you guys, they, you guys pay me the big bucks. You know how <laughs> SNL has like the five timers club for people who host five <laughs> times. You're now part of that for our podcast. You're almost there. Three timers club. I think we're going to give you like a green jacket soon or something like that. He's wearing one. I yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. But the first time you were on our pod, it was a little bit different. We only had two mics. We were sitting in my living room. And now look at us. Look at us with these mics. What was the context of that podcast? Like where, where was that? We were post road trip. Yeah, that was right after our road trip. Just got back. Yeah. We just had a pretty transformative experience. Yeah. Both on the way up and the way down. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then we went back and we recorded and we were excited. Yeah, man. It's kind of what what launched, uh, what launched our friendship, which is awesome. So if, if, uh, if you guys are new to the Jack Coin, Colin and Samir relationship, 
we uh <laughs> wow so we, official yeah it, it is but like we we went on a road trip together a couple of years ago um right after beam shut down uh we had met in new york talked about doing a show together you were going to come out to la and we were actually going to develop a show that was going to go on beam uh on the beam youtube channel which was super exciting yeah. and uh a few days later, once we flew back to LA, there was news that started coming out about Beam shutting down and you shot us an email and you were like, hey guys, uh, I don't know exactly what's going on, but everything should be chill. Like, and then a couple hours later, it was like, hey guys, I'm no longer at Beam. Everything's not chill. And then the next morning it was like, hey guys, I got an RV. I'm still thinking about coming out West. Do you want to go in this RV with me? And you guys said yes. And we said yes. <laughs> and it was awesome. We were just watching some of those videos last night together. I mean, yeah. that was such a cool experience. Yeah. We were, we were, we were younger. We were younger guys <laughs> back then. And we were naive in the ways of YouTube and the ways of the world. And we were just having fun. And that's like, to this day, you watch those videos and it's like, oh my God, it's hilarious. We we're dying laughing. Maybe it's just because it's us. And if like, I wonder if other people, do you, did you laugh when you watched those videos like now, like years later? I think those are some of our most authentic videos. I'm yeah. so proud of that project because when I watched that yesterday, we're sitting here in the office watching those videos. Like that is truly who we are. Like it's just, just jokes. We're just messing around for yeah. eight minutes. Yeah. I, I do think though, as creators, like you just said, we were so naive. And I think uh, that naivete only comes a couple of times in your artistic life. And uh you have to harness it and like love it and cherish it. Cause as you get older and more experienced, you look back and you're like, there's certain things that you, you would just never do anymore because I don't know, it turns into a business. It turns into like trying to make good decisions about like how to spend your time and how to uh, let out your creative energy. But that was just one of those times that was like, screw it. Let's just get in this RV for a couple of days and see what happens. And it was unbelievable. There was no business. I didn't have a business. You guys had a business and an we operation, did, but, but you were figuring out like kind of like who, what you were doing. You were still kind of relatively fresh off mm -hmm. of your old business, Lacrosse Network. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I had just like two weeks earlier lost my job. So not even two weeks earlier, like five days earlier. And so we were just whatever. We were just yeah. doing our thing. And, that, and now I think we're both, we've both learned a lot in the last couple of years. We've both come up, not both, all three of us have come up with um, new strategies and ways for sort of building our business and ways of thinking about YouTube and stuff like that. So there's a lot of lessons and stuff. YouTube has also changed drastically. And YouTube and the world. And then the world, and the yeah. world has changed <laughs> yeah. so much. But what was crazy was you made a video called um, I Got Fired. And <sighs> I think by the time we were on the trip, a million people had seen that video in just a few days. And that yeah. was what was so wild was because it set up the context for that trip in such a cool way yeah. that all of a sudden made it like everyone wanted to know what was going to happen next. And I remember just this, this feeling that it was so cool that people were, people cared about like what we were doing on this road trip. And, and it was yeah. such a cool experience. Like I remember the video and the next video ended up on the trending page. And then like yeah. we were getting DMS and, and people were tweeting about the road trip. And it was just such a cool thing to be on a road trip that like it felt like to, to us, YouTube, the YouTube audience was just watching our road trip. It was so relatable too, because I think obviously no one wants to get fired, <laughs> but I do think people sort of fantasize about what it would be right. like if they did get fired. Like, man, if they just fired me right now, I'd go to the Bahamas or something. And like, right. that's what people got to live through with your series. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a fantasy. It was a fantasy in a lot of ways. And then we also created like cliffhangers at the end of each thing. And the cliffhanger was just the reality of like, we don't know what's going to go on. Like, I don't know if you're going to murder me or I'm going to murder you. Like, <laughs> yeah, we actually one. didn't really know each other, which added such a good uh, yeah. secondary narrative. It was like, we didn't know where we were going. We were getting to know each other and we had no idea what this meant for the rest of our collective careers. But I do remember it was an interesting point because it was a time where you were getting the type of viewership on your channel that, that and ending up on the trending page that was like, here, like, here you go. Here you go, Jack. Like, here's the, here's the YouTube career. Yeah. And I remember, or I guess I want to talk through like after that road trip, how do you get to where you are today with your relationship to making YouTube videos and, and making videos? Cause yeah. I mean, dude, we, we were talking about it yesterday, but making YouTube videos is a, I mean, we could talk about it for hours, but it is a challenging career path and it, it is a very confusing one. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious, like I remember that right after the trip, like, oh, yeah. you were starting to explore like, all right, this is now the career path. Yeah. Well, I had opportunities right away because I made all these videos that averaged like whatever, like a ton of views, right? Like hundreds of thousands of views. Brands come in right away and say, hey, we want to do something with you. We want to partner with you and we want to sponsor this, that and the other thing. And you're thinking and you're hearing numbers and money being thrown around to do something that you're already doing. So it's like, yeah, just like we'll sponsor you. All you have to do is read this thing and say, you know, this is the best toilet paper in the world. And you should use it and use my code toiletpaper.com slash Jack. And they'll pay you like a lot of money for that. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm getting paid more money to do this one 30 second read and fit it into like what I'm already doing. than I was making um, the job that I got fired from. So this is like great. Everything looks totally rosy because all you know is success and all you know is high level viewership and engagement and people excited about your videos. And then I think you get caught up in this world of you have to repeat that same, you have to play this engagement game. And, and when we went on a road trip and got tons of views and when I made the video about I got fired or whatever, and I wasn't expecting to get over a million views and have that thing like become super viral. I was just like, this is a story that I want to tell for my own, for, for posterity, for my own like life's narrative. And the same thing with the road trip. And I did it cause it was fun. I didn't do it cause I wanted to like get paid. But then when you start getting paid, it kind of like distorts that a little bit. So I went down this path of having lots of opportunities to get paid and feeling like I should just, oh, I can make a video about this. I can make a video about this and I could add this sponsorship in here and get paid here. And all of a sudden you become, because it's your job, you become too reliant on the paychecks and you become too focused on that. And the content ends up taking a hit. And all of a sudden you're worried about your emails and you're worried about your manager and you're worried about um, people who are brands that are saying, hey, we're going to pay you to do this thing. And it stops being about the passion for just doing it for me. And so I went down this path of like kind of losing myself and losing like, why did I want to do this in the first place? And then the viewership suffers because they, maybe the audience is like, is this guy kind of mailing it in on this one? Or this, is this idea kind of half-baked? Or is he just doing this to sell me something? And I think that you emotionally go through a lot grappling with that. Like, what's your role? Are you here because you went to film school and you want to become a filmmaker? Or are you here because you want to make money? Or are you here because you're trying to take advantage of an audience? Or just because you liked making videos? And that's where it started from. And so I, I kind of went down that path for a while and I was like feeling pretty lost and not sure of what I should do with it. 
and what I should do in my career. And then uh, I've made videos about this, but then my dad got sick and I kind of was like, all right, this is a good opportunity to shut it down and just go home and spend time with family and reflect. And so I went home and just did that for a while. He passed away. We like, it was like great to be with family and kind of like think about what's important in my life. Think about what I want to be. And then like more time goes by and then the pan and then I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready to sort of get back into this. I get an opportunity to work on a travel show where I'm the assistant director. I'm not the creative head or whatever. I'm not coming up with the ideas. I just show up on set every day and we travel around the world. And it's this show called The World of Your Way, produced by Refinery29. So we traveled to 10 cities all over the world and made this crazy, sick, creative travel show. And that kind of was like, okay, this was great because I didn't have to like come up with the ideas. I didn't have to sell myself. I just got to work hard every day and be in new places. And then I was like, let's go back into YouTube. Now I have this new desire to like create videos that are meaningful to me and kind of bring back that thing that was there originally where it's not about money. It's not about views. It's not about making anyone happy except for myself. And so I started doing that again. Pandemic happened, but I just kept doing that. And I've ever since then have made a ton of videos that I'm really happy about that have way less views than anything I did at the beginning, but I'm way happier than I was sort of after I had that initial success. So that's the whole story. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, metamorphosis over the past couple of years. That's a lot. That we've gotten to witness and, you know, kind of uh, share friendship throughout it. In those initial stages, right after the trip, when you start exploring like these brand deals, um, Colin and I always talk about like there's three things that are factors when you're in the YouTube career. One is what do you want to make? Two is what does the audience want to see? And three is what does the YouTube algorithm want to feed to people? Yeah. And you have to consider all three of those things. So it's like you essentially, your percentage of do I want to make this is actually reduced to like 30%, right? It's like that's only 30% of the decision. The other 30% is like, does my audience want to see it? And then the 40% is really like, well, YouTube can I craft a title and thumbnail that's good enough that yeah. YouTube will feed this to people? And, and that gets to be a really confusing dance because now you're playing with like, you're essentially playing a game um, a lot more than you are just focusing on what do I want to make? And uh, that pressure, I think, is, is one of the most challenging things to deal with as a uh, YouTube creator. It's the pressure of like, you put out something that you're really proud of and the views are... 10% of what you typically get. And you're like, that's bad. Yeah. That's a bad decision I made. And that gets really confusing because you're like, wait, but that's the thing I wanted to make. Uh, and so I think that, you know, betting your income and your career on uh, YouTube uploads is uh, your entire income and your entire career on it is not smart. Having it be a part of your kind of ecosystem of how you operate in, in the creative career is what's, it's a huge leverage point, a huge advantage. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's something that we've probably all learned throughout this whole experience. Totally. Um, and we talked about that a little bit yesterday yeah. with me. And probably part that I left out of the story is that I'm doing a lot of work that's not necessarily on my YouTube channel, right. just production work. And so then the YouTube channel truly gets to be, this is what I love. To, you know, I'm just telling a story that I'm excited about. And then... For me, the, it's my YouTube channel is a jack coin and people subscribe to it because of me. They were like, this guy, I like this guy or whatever. I'm interested in hearing this guy's story. And so I have a lot of flexibility and leeway, I think, in the type of content that I'm creating and sharing on the YouTube channel. 
And this, if I'm excited about something, the audience is going to appreciate it for the most part. And so then the, it, that takes away the two of the pieces. And then the third is the algorithm. And right now it's like, I'm not really worried about it. Right. Like I'll get to a stage maybe in YouTube where I care about that again, but I'm not really about, I'm not even thinking about that or focus about that. I'm just making stuff. I don't really care how many people view it. As long as like the one, the one or two or three right people look at it, that makes me happy. It gives me satisfaction. I liked how yesterday too, you talked about your production company in terms of it being like a plumber. <laughs> so you're saying like, I look at what I'm doing with my production company, the work I do for others, as if I'm a craftsman, not necessarily an artist. And I think there's a sense of calm personally that comes with looking at yourself as a craftsman. Like totally. you mentioned, you're working for that travel show and you're not the one coming up with the creative ideas. You're just showing up every day to work. Totally. And it can be tough, I think, when you have to come up with 10 creative ideas because you're just, your well of creative resources is just, it just empties yeah. and you never know how much energy you're going to have in there. Uh, I'd be curious to know like what that was like on that travel show to be just kind of an employee and not like the head. Yeah. So the lead creative person the show is a guy I went to college with. His name's also Jack, Jack Pierce. And he's incredibly talented cinematographer, editor, motion graphics, everything. And him and his girlfriend and partner in the show, Annie, they came up with this concept. I was just like, it's called, it was originally called 60 Second Cities. And it was a travel show that was just shot like super slick and cool. And then they sold it to a company called Echo, which is all interactive video. So it was a choose your own adventure style show. And so our objective for each city was it was all pre-produced. I wasn't the producer. There was another producer who basically said, Here, there's 75 locations in each city in six days. And you have two camera teams. Go out and just capture it. And we had a specific way of shooting the show and shooting everything and lighting everything and doing audio and everything like that where we could go into a place, interact with someone, whether you're in Italy and someone's making pasta, you're like, this is how we want to shoot you. So just do your thing. And we'd get our four or five shots that we want to get. And just every place you went, it was, how can we shoot this in the most creative way possible? How can we get the most? What's the angle? And you have like 45 minutes to an hour in each place, right? What's the angle? How do we want to light it? How do we want to get audio? What do we want to pull out of this scene that captures its essence in the most interesting way possible? And every day we did that 12 places a day, right? For a week. And then we had a rest day and then we flew. To another city and then we did that again 12 so it was like every single day you're just like here's your challenge here's a place here's the Colin and samir studio give me four shots that show you the magic of what this place is you can use a drone you can use a camera you can use this you can use a gopro whatever you want to do attached over here and just come up with the shots and so it was really freeing liberating creative exercise in a lot of ways because all i had to do was go into a place look at it and say okay here's how we should shoot this let's do this shot this shot this shot this shot and uh so it was a totally new way of thinking creatively and the show has turned out incredibly it's really cool i, I find it interesting to be on projects like that because like you're not thinking about the title and the thumbnail. And I just want to go back to that, like the concept yeah. of the YouTube algorithm, because like that is something we're constantly thinking. It's always like, but wait, this is a cool idea. I love it. But if it doesn't have a good title and thumbnail, Colin and I are like, we're not making it. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually curious, you've been around YouTube and on YouTube productions much longer than we have. Yeah. Um, what was like, what was the year when you first started working with Casey? I first started working with Casey and and his brother, Van, they had a show, the Neistat Brothers. 
HBO. They had a literal HBO show that was like a vlog. Right. It was, it was insane that that existed because YouTube didn't exist, really. There was no place for vlogs. YouTube was fail videos and like highlights of weird news clips and stuff. I started working for them in 2010. Okay, got it. It was that summer, towards the end of that summer, I think that Casey was like, I'm going to start uploading little clips similar to what was on the TV show to YouTube. And they would get 50,000, 100,000 views at the time. Or it wasn't only YouTube, it was Vimeo too. And got like it. The era of Vimeo staff picks and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that was 2010. Were you, when you guys were working together on some of these videos, like some of the videos that you're credited on are some of my favorite videos on YouTube. Were you guys thinking algorithm at the time? Like were there conversations where you sat in the studio and you were like, well, how does this work within the YouTube algorithm? Or was it just like, put up a video here and people share it? It wasn't about the algorithm. It was about shareability. Got it. So the way that Casey and Van got their start in making videos for the internet is they did this video called iPod's Dirty Little Secret mm-hmm. where they like spray painted like this like message about how iPod battery dies all over New York City. Pre-YouTube, that went viral through email chains. So that's how they learned. And so it's not necessarily about like the algorithm. It's the same kind of idea where you have to have a simple concept that's going to like go viral. But it was, it was always about virality, not necessarily like fitting into an algorithm. It was just... Maybe the algorithm was at play at that time or yeah, different. And it wasn't something that we thought about, but we definitely thought about this is a very relevant topic. Let's make a video about it. Interesting. And were there conversations around like titles and thumbnails or not as relevant? No, as that not that I was really privy to. The, the titles were just... So the way that I guess Casey was thinking about these things was like a, almost like a news person. He was like the internet newsman mm. in some ways. And especially like around New York City. So an interesting news story in New York City is bike theft. Right. A bike got stolen. I should tell a story about this. Other people can relate to this. So many people bike in New York or bike lanes, right? Bike lanes at the time were something they started putting all over New York City, but it was problematic. Pedestrians were frustrated. Drivers were frustrated. Cyclists were especially frustrated. So it was a recipe for... Basically, a news story that you might find in the New York Times that you just made a video out of. And I think that the title for Bike Lanes video is just Bike Lanes, right? Yeah, not like, so. yeah. And the thumbnail is him crashing or something. It's, it's not, not like this is going to grab people. It's right. called Bike Lanes. Yeah. What the, it's, it's like, like yeah, what does today, that mean? You have to watch the video to get the substance of it to even be able to share it. Whereas today, yeah. with a title and thumbnail, you could decide if you want to share it basically just by the title. Yeah, because so, today that title would be like, I rode in every bike lane in New York City, parentheses, crash, parentheses, disaster, like disaster police, encounter. police encounter. And the thumbnail would be like a Photoshopped image of like a police yeah. officer, like handing a ticket yeah. to someone who's like on the ground. Yeah, it's just like so almost like, like the, the, the thing that we were talking about, which I thought like where I wanted to go with this conversation is just like, the unbelievable amount that YouTube has changed since then, since that era of like, put up a video. If it's good, it gets shared. Yeah. If it's relatable, it gets shared. But uh, it's not so dependent. That, that concept is not so dependent on your, you know. So YouTube has changed, but more importantly is our relationship to videos online mm. has changed. And the percentage of time we spend watching videos online has changed. Yeah, that's true. 
So when bike lanes came out, if you watched it, it was one of you, someone who's really into film, who really likes internet videos. It's one of maybe four or five videos you watched that whole week. Yeah, true. Now you watch four or five videos every hour, at least Mm. all day long. You don't even realize it. It's scrolling through Instagram videos in your feed constantly. TikTok. So as much as I could watch tic- f- fifteen videos. TikTok. In a how many videos do you yeah, watch on yeah. TikTok? Like every yeah. minute you're yeah, watching yeah. fifteen videos. So wow. think about that. That change in our behavior. That change in our culture. Where when I was graduating from college in 2013, having gone to film school, my teachers are like, "Are you going to go to LA and like try and work at a studio?" And I was like, no, I'm going to like go on YouTube. And they're like, that is so stupid. Like, what is YouTube? (laughs) I said, it's the big, it's going to be a big thing, right? Because I already in the last couple of years have watched, noticed myself and everyone else watching more and more videos. And that was like maybe post Blackberry, but like iPhones were starting, but you weren't really streaming videos on your phone. A relationship to video has changed more than YouTube has changed. And YouTube's algorithm and needs have changed to suit how our society's relationship to watching videos. Wow, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I, I like that a lot. It's kind of like um, when people get older, they're like, wow, the years just go by much faster. And the concept there is that like, when you're younger, the percentage of your life that a year takes up is significantly less than when you're older, right? Yeah. When you're five years old, like a year is 25% of your life. <laughs> Super significant. <laughs> when you're 31, it's totally different. Yeah. And, and as you get older, it's, it's even more different. But that's an interesting note that like today, watching a YouTube video makes up a much smaller percentage of your, on, of like your online video or just general video consumption than it used to. I, I can't even like, I'm, now all I'm thinking about is like, it's, it's noon right now. How many videos have I watched today? Yeah, I actually I, don't I even, even know count. how many videos I've I watched, but count. I know I've watched a good amount starting watched, from the moment I woke up. I've yeah. watched a lot of so, videos. And let me put it a different way. Going back to bike lanes and Casey's early videos is you heard, heard about that because someone said to you, hey, have you seen this video with the right. guy with the bike? Like, how often did anyone ever tell you to watch a video? Not very often, right? Like there yeah, was yeah. no mechanism yeah. for sharing videos. Someone would email you or it was word of mouth. It was a lot of word of mouth. And you'd go to yeah. the computer lab at <laughs> yeah. your school and whatever and you'd sit down and you'd... We're talking about 2011 or yeah. something. Yeah. Like, there was, you weren't watching videos on your phone. Now, all day long, people DM you videos. It was a much more novel experience mm. to be watching a video online. Yeah. So I think you like sat with that experience, remembered it, it impacted you. It's... It's and you wanted to share. The only thing, there's nothing else around it. Now, all day long, your friends are sending you videos. I mean, we send each so, other videos all day, and I feel like we don't even watch all the videos we send each other. No. Right? Like, I know we don't. Definitely not. Wow. Well, Samir, I, I sent you one. a video yesterday you didn't watch. Which one? I mean, let me look it up. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm in group chats with my friends on Instagram where they'll send a video, like a something from like a barstool sports, like yeah, a funny yeah. thing. Someone's falling down the stairs. Or I'm whatever. all in on that stuff. And, Colin doesn't and like that. five people are in the chat. And then like an hour later, like someone else will send the same video again and yeah. be like, do you guys see this hilarious? And it's like the other guy's like, dude, I just sent that an hour yeah, ago. Yeah. Like get right. on the, get on the, it's like, I can't keep up with the right. amount of videos you sent me. And back in the day, you know, it's a totally different landscape that you're, yeah. that you're playing in. And so Casey would make one video every three weeks or something that was about a highly relevant news topic in the hopes that it would go viral because people would say, you got to see this video. All right. Which video was it called? 
This one. We didn't, you didn't even say anything about it. I watched it. You didn't say anything about it. We talked about it when we came in here, didn't we? No. We talked about it with someone else. I we, talked about it with someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah, I, I watched that. Okay, well, it would have been nice if you had told me. I watched it, but I was in, I was in motion at the time. That's anyway, the thing. Now you're watching videos yeah, while I'm watching, you're doing other stuff. I'm watching stuff. videos while I'm doing other stuff. But yeah, I, I watched that. So oh, just to be been, clear, I just, nice to know make, that just want the audience uh, message was received. I just want the audience to know that I little, watch everything Colin just, sends me, but he just said publicly he does not watch everything I send him. Which, so what yeah. year did um, iPhone add the thing where you like double tap and you can like heart and like thumbs up stuff? No idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, probably obviously way later than right. these early videos, right? I think that's another example of the attention economy right. and how, how much. hard it is to sort of capture someone's. Totally. Like your, your significant other, your best friend can tell you something important and you're just, okay, cool, thumbs up. That's <laughs> yeah, 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 that's moving wild, on. man. That yeah. to me is yeah. the same thing as like making a video that is potentially hugely impactful and like not really that many people care about it. Yeah, it's interesting. The quantity of information we're sharing with so many people within a day sort of dilutes the impact. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's what makes us have to try and capture attention with like big grandiose, you know, things. So so you, Jack, uh, you know, you had mentioned, obviously there was a big life moment when your dad got sick and you went through like a lot of reflection and then a lot of transformation um, through that process. I, I think it was around that time that you started to run as well. Yeah. Right? I remember you ran yeah. the LA Marathon. Um, around that time in a yeah. crazy fashion in a crazy way yeah. yeah but but you know obviously like you today we've we haven't known each other for that long but in the years that we have known each other like who you are today and who you were on that rv trip um there you're like an evolved version of that guy that i met <laughs> <laughs> you want to go into that no and uh basically what i wanted to ask you is like you're um you think i'm hotter yeah <laughs> is that what you're saying confirmed yes that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, I mean, you got bleached hair. It's long. You got this cool oh, earring. Yeah. You're like running eight miles a day. Like you got a lot of you got a lot okay. of cool. You uh, got yeah. this cool shirt on. Like a lot of things have changed. Yeah, far more attractive. Yeah. I need to swap this out actually for a Raga. Man <laughs> you do shirt. need to swap that out for a Raga man. But like, what what were some of the things that you like through that transformation? Like, totally. what do you think um, you came out valuing uh, that was different from prior to to that experience? So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think that what I do now is like take every day, appreciate every single day, appreciate like little moments more so than I used to. I try and appreciate like just like the beauty of like life in a way. And I, I know that sounds like a, a little bit like a stereotype or whatever, but like it's, that's genuinely what I do, right? Like the fact that I woke up this morning here and the sun's coming up and the sky is pink this morning and blue. And like, I look out at the Santa Monica pier, like it's insane. It's gorgeous. Right. And then I can just like go down the street and there's someone smiles at you and like, I get to hang out with you guys and I love you guys. And like all those things add up to me to like, what's really important in life. Like having this big vision for where you want to be in 20 years, it's like, it's tough to put too much, to, to invest too much in that because there's so much that's great along the way. That's like, yeah, you can have ideas, but you never know what's going to happen. Life's a roller coaster. There's so much that's out of your control, but what's in your control 
is saying, look at this little thing that's happening right in front of you right now. That's beautiful. And that doesn't happen enough. And I think that when you lose somebody who's really close to you pretty quickly like that, like you're like your parent, it makes you realize like, what what was his priorities? And he didn't like think that he was going to just all of a sudden like get sick and die. And that could happen to me. That could happen to any of us at any time. And when you think about it that way, instead of worrying about it, just saying, okay, I'm here now. This is guaranteed. What's in front of you? Guarant- like that's like what's guaranteed in life. What's ha- what you're going to get in 20 years is not guaranteed in life. And there's things you can do to try and go down that path. But there's also so many externalities that you don't have control over. So it's like about appreciating what you do have control over, appreciating like, and you have control over appreciating things that are in front of you, right? Um, and so that's sort of how I try and live my life as much as possible is, you know, squeeze the most out of every day, like squeeze the most out of like, what are you learning? What are you creating? What are your relationships? What's happening in your relationships and the people that you love and care about and the stuff that's around you? What books are you reading? Sort of like, how are you appreciating like the little basic things in life that have been around forever? Not the new fast, like shiny thing that's in front of you. Not the iPhone 12 that comes out that everyone talks about for three days. It's like, it doesn't matter at all. There was, there's so much beautiful stuff that's happening or so much just like human stuff that's happening that we should, I think, appreciate more. So that's sort of how I've changed in a lot of ways, like I guess spiritually. And then where the running comes in is running to me is like meditation and it helps you when you run for an hour, you have to put your phone away, right? Like you can't be watching videos while you're running. I guess maybe you could, (laughs) but you have to put your phone away. You're not responding to texts. You're not responding to emails. You're just in your physical body and you're in and you're moving through space along the surface of the earth. And that is like a very, very spiritual Zen place to be just like going through like and just to be able to capture that little space for yourself every day where it's just you and the world connected i think that people have lost that connection in some ways and for me it's not the same for everyone for me running brings me that every day and so to have that little thing to grasp onto is just and it clears my head and then and then after that if i run in the morning the rest of my day i've already accomplished more than a lot of people and so everything else is a win Dude, I, that's, that's a really cool perspective on, on both things you just told us. Um, I want to like watch that clip every morning. Yeah, of what that, you just said. That, that was like a really, really beautiful perspective um, that I think it's hard to achieve, especially when you're in this, um, in kind of like just a constant phase of like grind mode. And yeah. like, I think what is encouraged in us when it comes to work is to always look to the future. Where's the next check coming from? Where's the next... Uh, gig coming from? What's next in the business? How do we evolve? How do we compete? How do we, you know, where where am, where am I going to buy a house in 10 years? Like all this future thought, I think consumes like over 50% of your brain on a daily basis, which leaves very little room for any sort of present thought. And for me, I, uh, when I was really stressed out, I would say like a year and a half ago or two years ago, I started swimming uh, at this gym and like that was it was you were describing the yeah. same kind of concept where it's like I couldn't even listen to music. Yeah. So I was just in the water with my own thoughts. And your breath. And that's it. Yeah. You're yeah. like alone with your own thoughts. It was like such a cool experience. And then getting to do something where your your blood's pumping and you're in motion, it just like yeah. that felt like where I could actually sort out ideas and thoughts and yeah. 
just be like with myself. Cause you realize like those moments where you're just with yourself are incredibly limited. Like if you had a percentage, like you have screen time on your phone, Oof. if you had a percentage of like how your brain is operating or how you're spending your time, I think it would really surprise you to be like time with just me and my thoughts is like less than 1% of my day. And I think starting your day that way is super important. Yeah. If you can, like I've been surfing in the mornings more than I ever have before. And it's go. the same type of thing. Like just being out there, I can't even look up anything or focus on anything. Like anything that I would have to do once I get into the office, I literally can't do. And that's like a beautiful thing that I just have to be out there by myself in the water. Yeah. You guys have talked about this on previous podcasts, but like the, just the attention economy and just how everyone's constantly fighting over your, how, not everyone, how businesses yeah. and how corporations are fighting for your attention. And it's really hard because they use psychological tricks to, yeah. to steal away the time and your, and your own resources and your own brain power. And the way to fight back is to capture moments like that, to go somewhere where there's no cell service for an hour or whatever and like realize like, you know, it's actually not that bad to like not be able to take a phone call for an hour to go for a run, to go surfing, to go swimming, to like be, put yourself in a place where like you can't access that and the only thing you have is what's going on up here. And at the same time, it helps to do something physical because that also is a blessing. You realize that in yourself. And it gets endorphins pumping and you kind of get energized and excited from that in a way that nothing else really does. It's interesting. There's that saying like everything in moderation. But I feel like for a lot of people, including ourselves, like screen time is not being moderated no. most of the time. Not like at it's all. It's just not even close. the roof. Yeah. No. Yeah. Through the roof. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, so crazy. My content consumption right now in 2020, I think it's, again, it's a way to like deal with uh, stress and anxiety because it like distracts you. It's like an yeah. escape when you watch content. And I think this year has had so much underlying anxiety, even in a moment where you don't feel anxious. There's like a general underlying like this world, like especially being here in the US, it's just like everything's kind of crazy right now. So there's yeah. like an underlying level of anxiety that I've realized like my content consumption has gone up. I've fallen out of most of my routines and I'm just like, this helps me escape and like not think about anything. So let me watch you know, Logan Paul unbox these Pokemon cards for four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, what the world needs more of. That's what we need more of. The best thing I've done is, is roll back how much I watch once I get into bed. Like I try and make it a rule now that's like, if I'm getting into bed, like I just don't watch because there's nothing I need in that hour that I'll be watching videos. And I did that all day. I looked at my screen. Right. I do bring the iPad into bed and watch shows and stuff. Yeah, I, I watch shows in bed as well. Yeah, I love Katie, shows, yeah. Katie, I'm not uh, saying I don't watch different, shows. Though. Yeah. Dude, Katie, she literally keeps the phone, like, I'm talking about, like, downstairs, like, yeah. far. Before she goes to bed, plugs it in, alarm's on there so that she has to get up and go to it and turn it off. Lays in bed. Once she's in bed, there's no screens. And I'm like, I used to be able to do that. But now I'm like, I get anxiety about like actually being able to fall asleep. Yeah. And so like, I want to bring it in bed as like a crutch to be like, well, if I can't sleep, then but that's I'll just causing you not to be able to exactly. sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. the running thing also helps with that. Mm. Physical activity helps with sleep too. Like when you wake up early in the morning and you like work out really hard, it yeah. helps you fall asleep. So you're saying exercise is good. I'm saying <laughs> exercise <laughs> is good for you. So you're saying that I think there was a time where we were doing these food episodes uh, that 
I remember myself at that time, I was absolutely not working out. And I loved when we would do these food episodes where we would just eat like burgers all day or pizza You're talking all day. About, yeah. <laughs> Epic times because I remember I was like, well, this is work. So like, I, I mean, come on. I'm not going to. I'll eat four burgers yeah, I gotta, in yeah, four I hours. Yeah, eat four burgers and, <laughs> you and would go seven home slices smelling of pizza. like meat. Yeah. Katie would be like, what did you do today? Yeah. She's like, you got to stop hanging out with Jack. Yeah. <laughs> you said you I think influence. the first time you slept at my place in Echo Park, we woke up and I gave you a kale smoothie. Yeah. 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 It's delicious. Just like a real welcome to LA. It's good. It's a nice balance. Yeah. It's all about we, balance, baby. We were just at, we, we were doing this piece. Um, we did this talk about creator business and creator monetization. Yeah. And we uh, brought up the example of the Burger Boys t-shirt. Do you remember we made a Burger Boys t-shirt? We designed it, but we never made it, right? No, no, we designed we it and we put it out alongside that video, uh, which was, it was, it was print on demand. And z- what? <laughs> I forgot about that. I should buy one. Can you still access I mean, it? You can still. Buy one. We didn't even buy one. No one bought one. Zero people bought that shirt. <laughs> but it was a cool shirt. Is it still up on that episode? Uh, no, I have I no idea. We took it down. I have no idea. Yeah, but it was know. a cool shirt. It was but a good idea. Anyway, we were giving yeah. a talk about diversifying <laughs> yeah. creator revenue, and we brought that up as an example for a failed. Yeah. What merchandise? Not merchandise. Yeah. yeah don't, what not to do? Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. We. Oh man, we should get those shirts. Let's find the design. Let's make them. Let's just make four. Dude, of them. they're rad. I was looking at them. I was like, we should just cool. make four. We should, we should just make yeah, four of these. That's yeah. it. That's easy. Yeah. We'll put the link below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so also long hair, bleached hair. Yeah. I don't remember when that Earring. happened. Earring. Like there's yeah. a lot of like physical changes that came. Do you feel like more like yourself now well, than you did when you were because I remember like watching you in the Beam episodes of Casey's vlog and even just back when you were on Beam, even the way you dressed was different. I feel like well, I think everyone is more like themselves as you get older, yeah, right? That's like true. your whole life and perspective and like way you think about yourself and how you act and how you dress it narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows as you get older. For most people, that's a human like that's a natural thing that we do. That's a defense mechanism pathways in our brain shut down as you get older and everything gets more narrow as a way of surviving. But for me, I'm someone who's always been very comfortable with physical change and like changing my look and changing my hair. I've always like, every time I get a haircut for too long, I'm like, I got to change this and do something new. So I think that that was a big part of it. Um, When I last summer was like kind of like a little bit like not sure what I was going to do before I went on this travel show, before I booked that gig, I was planning on running the New York city marathon. I had had a, like a summer of like, you know, back when we could have a, this is like back when you could like interact with people and go to bars, party and all that stuff. Like remember those good old days? I don't remember those. So we had a summer, (laughs) we had a summer of like fun. And I said, you know, it's July or August. I'm going to get a mullet. Like this is the time. Dude, I remember you sent me a, picture of the runner with the mullet oh, oh yeah, yeah. there's yeah yeah, 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 yeah 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 so Super there was it, so there was so th- so it was like kind of like a runner swag thing i was like mm-hmm. i'm running new york marathon soon i gotta start growing a mullet like it'll be sick so i started growing a mullet and then i was like in new york and then the day after the new york city marathon i went to mexico to sh- continue shooting the show and then from mexico i went to miami and then i went to and i was like in the swamp in Miami and I was like on the fan boat with the thing going and I was like dude this is a crazy good luck <laughs> and then I was in like Columbia I just was traveling and there was no place to get a haircut and everywhere I went people were like 
mullet, dude. That's so sick. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's my thing. So I was just rocking the mullet. And then I went to Taiwan in December and I decided I, I'm going to change it up again. And I bleached it like this crazy, like fully like d- crazy yellow. Not like not it was blonde. a wild look. <laughs> and the guy who did it like only spoke Chinese. Like he didn't speak any English and I didn't speak Chinese. And so he was like, oh yeah, you're good. I'm showing him pictures of Brad Pitt. I'm like, make me look like him. The guy's like, thumbs up. I looked insane. And then I was in Hawaii and I had the like long mullet and the thing. And then I went to Australia after that and continued shooting this show. And so I was in Australia for January and February. And in Australia, if you have a mullet, you're a god. You're literally like people go f- crazy, like not women, the dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Australia and every dude's like, oh, dude, yeah, so sick, mate. And they're literally coming up. They're touching. They're like, oh, awesome, dude. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, word. So then uh, I came back to New York and the pandemic hit and I couldn't get a haircut, like literally couldn't get a haircut for months. Right. Because the hair there was they were yeah. all closed. And then at that point, I pretty much just had long hair. So I was like, let me just get rid of them all and just keep the hair long like you, you know, and just kind of like it's the pandemic vibe, dude. Everyone has long hair these days. Almost everyone. Almost everyone. Hair. Maybe I'm yeah. on my way. Yeah. I, I dig it. I think it's cool. I think, first of all, I think you actually inspired me to grow my hair because I was like looking at you and I feel like... um <laughs> Like there's like two, two different, like a couple different people were doing it, but you were growing your hair. But at the same time, you, I felt like you were becoming like more wise and artistic yeah. and like, it wasn't just the hair. It yeah, stood it's like, for a, a you, shift. You had this shift yeah. in a vibe of like, Oh, Jack's like, he's owning his he's, body. He's like, yeah, he's like owning himself. <laughs> like he is himself now. And I felt like I was like, I'm ready to, to do the same. Like, give me the long hair. Let me grow out my beard a little bit. Let me just, let me just yeah. do me, you know? And, and here I am doing me. Looking good, dude. Feeling great. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm curious. Married like, too. Married oh, too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like this is my 30s look, though. Like once I settled into it, I was like, oh, this is me now. It's so fitting for you. This is me, and we got to change our logo now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you should update. Yeah, it. You could update. do a subtle That'd be one. So funny if we yeah. updated. You could also time. put um. The at masks. some point, we I'm, did the mask. We, we did that. We did the mask for a while. At um, some point, I'm gonna go bald. And I can't grow a beard. And I feel like it's just going to be like two lines of hair on the side of mine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like Homer Simpson. With yeah. Like Homer Simpson vibes. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I'm, I'm curious. So you've like found, you feel more like yourself now. Um, you're a born and raised New Yorker. For a second, you moved out and lived with me in Los Angeles. Then you traveled. <laughs> you've traveled all over. Oh, Do yeah. you feel like now that you're back in New York City, you've reconnected like do you have a different relationship with new york right now 100 percent. i talked to you guys about this a little bit yesterday but i was when i came back from this trip i was ready to leave new york i was over new york it just felt like there were too many people there too many too money was too important Everywhere you look, there's brand new buildings being built and they're like luxury condos, right? Like $2 million, $3 million, $4 million apartments, like constantly like adding $3 million apartments. And it's like, you, for years, it's been obvious that New York was just catering towards more and more rich people from all over the world to come in. And it's like this great international hub of rich people. And that's not what like makes New York special. It's supposed to be a melting pot of everyone in all cultures. And it's supposed to be accessible. And it wasn't that. 
And, you know, I just was like, it's too much for like bankers and international money people and shell companies, <laughs> Russian oligarchs. <laughs> like that's like what the city's become. And then the pandemic happened and New York City died and all these people went to their other homes in the country or the Hamptons or whatever and they abandoned it and all the people, all the workers, like office workers left. And what we were left with was the people who couldn't leave, who were like, you know, I'm still here. Like, let's like make this thing work. Like, let's kind of like get like rally around each other and like bring the spirit of the city back. And I like felt that I was like, this is the New York that I love. This is the New York that it felt like when I was growing up. And people were talking about crime is up. It's so dangerous and all these problems. It's like when I was a little kid, I remember sometimes like we would park the car on the street outside of my house and people would break the windows and steal the radio. That happened many times in my childhood. Like I, there was like, I lived in New York when it was violent and bad. I lived in New York when like the value of like, you could buy a house downtown for cheap and that, like all went away. And so people saying it was bad. It's like, no, it's been way worse. Like now it's kind of like becoming more accessible. It's becoming, it felt like this time in like the late nineties, early two thousands when all the rock bands were like blowing up in New York. Do you remember that? Like the strokes mm -hmm. and all those kind of bands. Like when we were in middle school, it's like, who are these? Was LCD a part of that? LCD kind of was yeah, part of that. that. All yeah. these different, like the New rapture. York yeah. yeah, all these bands were like at the core of what New York was. And what they did is they all moved out to these warehouses in Williamsburg at the time, known as in Williamsburg. Now, you guys have, it's like luxury it's condos yeah. and stuff. It's Why are you pin that on us? You, know? you guys yeah, have seen it. You guys have seen it. I'm not blaming you. Yeah. No. Like we ruined yeah. Williamsburg. No, you guys <laughs> have seen it. You guys no, have but seen you were like, it. No, yeah. Like, I mean, we made videos. Was cool, and now you guys, you guys and you been to Williamsburg twice. You, you, but guys, you guys went ahead and made videos yeah, with expensive coffees. Okay. And you guys are at Toby's estate. Yeah, you that's guys, what you meant to yeah. say. You guys ruined Williamsburg. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, just say it like it just is. Say it. The strokes yeah. left. <laughs> Colin and Samir came in, and New York died. That like that. So the point of the story is to me, that's when New York died. Is when people said, "I can't afford to live in New York anymore. Right. I got to go somewhere else." And now it's, you know, eventually it'll go back probably the way, like when like the pandemic's fully sorted, like New York will go back to the way it was. But I think that people are realizing that there's something super special about it being more accessible to people. Rent is way down. So yeah, so I got an office, rented an office with my brother, we started Coin Brothers Productions. And we decided like, let's go all in on New York because like, this is our home. This is where our family's from. This is like all we know, right? And so there's something special about being a true blue New Yorker and like leaning into that. And I love to travel and New York is an easy travel hub. Mm -hmm. Like, so like I could always go anywhere. Why not just continue to have my hub in New York? And then when it gets cold, come out here and hang out with you guys. That was kind of always the plan, I guess. Yeah. So uh, speaking of loving to travel, you've traveled quite a bit um, <laughs> in recent weeks. <laughs> I've been traveling a lot in yeah, the pandemic. You, yeah, baby. You, you've been traveling quite a bit. One of the places you recently went to was Bermuda, which looked unbelievable. But um, and that was a part of a Coin Brothers production. Yeah, that was the first Coin Brothers production, like travel, like shoot, where we. Yeah, it was great. So yeah, talk talk to me about some of these places that you've gone during the during the pandemic, and just like uh, and, and also about the first like Coin Bros production. And, and gig with like a, yeah. a travel partner in a, in a hotel. The first time I traveled on a plane was in June. I went to Seattle to do a moment course. Oh yeah. And we shot it out there. And then I went from Seattle to Montana and then uh, 
drove down from Montana to Wyoming and went to Jackson, Grand Tetons and all that stuff. Came back, flew back here. Um, at the time, it was like people were really scared to get on airplanes, but I knew that they were being pretty safe and I was told they were pretty safe and you just wear a mask and like, it's all good. And so I got on that plane, I get to the airport to go to Seattle. There's no one in the airport. You breeze through security. You don't even need pre-check anymore because there's no one in the regular line. You get on the plane, you have a whole row to yourself. You watch your movie, you lay out in economy. You feel like you're in first class because there's no one around. And then uh, you get to where you're going. And it's like traveling is kind of easier now. So the secret's out. I've ruined it probably for <laughs> yeah. myself. But, but I've since then, like when I went to Bermuda, plane was relatively empty. When I came out here, empty seat, every other seat is empty. So um, you don't have to show up to the airport crazy early. You don't have that same like hectic energy that, that, that it, you get sometimes in the airport where it's like you're slammed with people and it's just like craziness. Like, why do so many people have to be in this airport right now screaming about going to the Bahamas? Dude, especially JFK, by the way. JFK, JFK is, is madness. Dude, LAX and, is horrible. Okay. No, JFK is JFK is crazy, dude. Especially because once you get through security, you ha- they're like, they're like uh, your, where's your gate? Your gate's like four and a half yeah. miles away. There's like far. Strava routes around it's the really JFK airport. But I just... Oh, that's a good video, dude. Yeah. Running yeah. a marathon in JFK. In JFK that'd be, oh, wow. That that'd would be, be a that's good YouTube like video. Millions of views in the title right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's printing views. Okay. <laughs> so I could do a half marathon and then get on the plane and do another half. Imagine like what the TSA people be like, who is this guy with, yeah. the, with the Nikes? <laughs> dude, running, running a marathon in JFK could end up on like local New York news. Yeah. That would be really good. I'd, I would keep it, it all in JFK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd be it. famous in New York. So. What was I saying? The uh, traveling's great right now. So yeah, I've traveled a bunch. And then the Coin Brothers production thing, I got an opportunity. This hotel reached out to me months ago about doing a shoot before the pandemic. And then that hit and they said, you know, we're going to hold off. And then they like reached out to me like three weeks ago. Could you come down like pretty soon and like shoot the hotel and like do the whole thing? We want to do a story about the experience of traveling internationally during COVID. And I was like, yeah, that's of course. Like, are you guys serious? And they're like, how soon can you come? I'm like next week. They're like, yeah, perfect. Sign the contract. We're good to go. The process of traveling there, this is all in the video. You have to get tested before you go and then you have to send your test into them and they have to check you. And then you get another test when you get off the airplane in Bermuda. Bermuda is a small island, right? There's like 60,000 people who live there. You get off, you get checked again. You have to get in a car, go immediately to your residence and you have to like stay locked down in your place until you get the result back or you can get fined $10,000. So that's the rules. So we go to the hotel, we get in the hotel room, we wait eight hours later. They're like, you're good to go. We can go out to dinner. Boom. So it's pretty easy thing to do to get down there and you get there and you're in a whole nother world and it's 90 minutes away. And so we had four days of shooting and having fun and snorkeling and all this stuff. You're like in this crazy tropical oasis. It's not in the Caribbean where you think it is. It's like off the coast of like the Carolinas, but like way out, way, way, way far east. Here's what I think is crazy about this is like as I'm watching some of your new content that you're making and especially this, this piece you made in Bermuda, which is, you know, a paid gig for you. um, The vibe that you are putting out is the opportunities that you're getting now. Like, I mean, look, look at yourself. You look like Bermuda right now. And you're getting the opportunity to get paid to go to Bermuda and go <laughs> snorkeling. It's literally the same color palette of the graphics that you made for yeah, that video yeah. on your yeah. shirt. This but, is, yeah. 
But I'm saying that like, I think that's such an important thing is it, it goes back to that concept of like kind of being with yourself, understanding yourself and then exuding that into the world. And then the world will give back what you're looking for. 100%. If you are Bermuda, the world will give you Bermuda. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah it's you not, guys got to start getting on your Bermuda. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's important. It's like if you are in that kind of grind mode, which we, we've been in and you're kind of stressed and like you're really intense, like the type of opportunities that are going to come your way are going to match what you're putting out. Um, and that's where I think like the, uh, it's really challenging when creativity becomes a commodity. That's something Colin and I were talking about yesterday and he mentioned it about like as a creativity as a resource is one of the most unpredictable resources there is in the world. Like I don't know why sometimes I feel more creative than I do other times. I don't know if I'm going to feel creative next Thursday. I can't tell you that. Um, but when you start getting into the business that we're in, you're essentially committing, you're signing contracts to be like, I will be creative for this. I will have a good idea for this. Um, and you know, if it starts piling on top of you and you're not positive, like how you're going to make it happen and you're getting stressed about it, like the creative is going to, the creative is going to feel stressed. And like you mentioned earlier on the podcast, like around what, you, you know, at the time when you were kind of doing a lot of advertising and brand deals, it's like, that's when you commoditize creativity in a way that's like really straining. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just looking at the stuff you're doing now and like, especially that trip to Bermuda and I'm like, that feels like where it's aligned. It's like, this is in my path of things that I would do and you're going to give me the opportunity to do it. It's, it's setting me up for success to be creative yeah. And I can commit to it. And like, it's not overwhelming. And it's and, like, and it's, good so vacation. Right. it's so vacation. It's so enjoyable as a viewer too, because like I finish your video and I feel less stressed. I think that every creative person or YouTube channel or, you know, entity that's out there, they all have something that they kind of are best at, that they do that people realize and they realize and it's kind of, they merge and that's where they're like, that's where they have their success or whatever. And you guys in the last couple of years have really found that and honed that. And what that with you guys, what it is, is you are like analysts and thinkers about what's going on. And you, your, your creative execution is incredible. Like the visual stuff looks great, but that's not really as important. The core of it is the way that you guys think about stuff, analyze it, break it down and share it with people. And that's really special. And with me, what it is, and this goes back to our road trip, it's my, I think my personality, ability to have fun and an ability to bring that out of other people who are around me and encourage you when I'm with you to laugh and smile and like not they take things too seriously. I'm not good at making videos. Like I'm not like good at like shooting. Like I'm not good with cameras or sound. Like nothing that I do like actually looks or sounds that good. But what I do do is I think I have an ability to like, when I put the camera on you and say something to you, get you to say the thing that's like, wow, like that's like so funny that they said that. <laughs> and like that we, we went down that path and we had that. And when I'm in Bermuda and I'm interacting with some random stranger, I can kind of bring something out of them through my personality and through my energy and through having crazy whatever hair and style and just kind of like doing my thing and vibing. So... That's what I'm leaning into. And that's what the Bermuda video and all these other videos when I did this series about how to make an NYC and I'm going to small businesses that are struggling, I'm helping them find the light in the stuff that in a hard year, in this shitty situation for a lot of people. 
I think that I'm like continuing to hone that and figure that out. And the beauty of working with my brother is he's a very talented craftsman and shooter and editor and all that stuff. And so I can elevate the style a little bit and not worry as much about how do we shoot this and get the lighting and all the other stuff because I suck at that anyway. I can just focus on kind of like having fun being me and getting people to kind of get on board with that. Does that, do you guys mm-hmm. feel that? Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like when we watch the, mm-hmm. we're watching the road trip, yeah. you guys were acting in a you, different type totally. of way. You but you brought yourself. Yeah, you brought like a, um, I would say like in a, a really fun, childish energy out of us that a lot of times we don't have uh, and that we don't express. And I think that trip, like when I think back to it, it was just this like release of like, oh, let's just, let's just have fun. Like there's no pressure here. Let's just have fun. Yeah, I think if you're like an effective host or a correspondent and hoping to like show true humanity, you have to have that ability. Like that's such an important trait to be able to like pull the essence out of other people, like pull the best out of other people. And like for you now to be able to focus on that and let your brother focus more so on the production. Yeah. I think it's like showing that the videos now are better. Yeah. The childlike thing is I think important, right? Yeah. Because that's what it is. And that's connected to what I was saying earlier about appreciating little things in life. Like when you're a kid, you appreciate the, the all you think about when you're a little kid is what's right in front of you. It's when you get older that you start worrying about the big da 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 da. If you can still maintain that to some degree every day in your life, that childhood sense of wonder, that's pretty special. And I think I'm trying to maintain that as much as possible. I think that's really important, especially because like we all choose to be in this creative business. And being in a creative business is is essentially tapping into that, that kind of like childlike feeling of just getting to make something and be amazed that you made something. Yeah, you totally. Know? So with kind of this, uh, this new wave of, of Coin Bros productions, uh, you're making videos that are on and off YouTube and, and you know, going in, in different places. Um, what's your relationship to your YouTube channel now moving forward? And, and what is the future of, of Coin Bros productions? Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> like I know you what have, this really, cool, you have yeah. this really cool project where you're giving away a thousand bucks to yeah. creatives. Like, uh, but I'm just curious, like, how do you view YouTube yeah. as a part of this? I view, for me, I view YouTube as one outlet and one vehicle for telling stories about people, inspiring people, doing positive things. And for me, an inspiring person, it doesn't have to be something huge and massive that you think is. Everyone's inspiring in their own little way. And so if, you, if everyone had a little bit more of that positivity in their, in their lives and around them and encourage it with the people around them, the world becomes a better place. So YouTube and then Instagram and it's just social media and just any place where I can share videos of like, me hanging out with people who do that in some form, um, that's the objective. And so I have done that throughout the last few months, telling stories about small businesses and creatives and stuff like that. And people in New York who are, who continued in the face of the pandemic to just work on stuff that was positive and giving back and whether it was food drives or dance troops or, you know, the, high school basketball team that I was working out with at six in the morning the other day in bed It's like those little things, like people who just start trying, doing their, doing their best, like, and have a good attitude about it. Those are the stories I want to tell. So I hooked up with a brand, a, a startup app called Braid. And Braid is a, a group bank account 
platform. So you can start up with a couple of friends, create this group account, put some money in there, and then you have a bank account that you can tap into and spend on whatever you want. They said, Jack, last year, again, pre-pandemic, Jack, will you help us tell our brand story, explain what this product does? I came up with some pitches. Pandemic happened. We said, let's put a hold on this. Summer came around. We said, you know what? It's time to move forward. Let's come up with a new idea that makes more sense. And I said, let's give away as much money as possible to people who are who have lost their jobs and now they've come up with, now they're finally pursuing their creative dream or they still have their job, but then on the side, they've decided to start making masks and giving those away or they started to start delivering meals to hospitals. Those stories are everywhere right now, right? Because people are like, we need to help each other. We need to like work or it's like, now it's the time to finally pursue my career in music because I lost my job. The same story that I went through when I got fired and I hung out with you guys, People are doing that all over the country right now. So every week I pick someone who's applied um, and I give them $1,000 and then I tell their story on my YouTube channel and maybe I'll make an IGTV video that's, this is blank, this is how they spent the money, use their braid card for all their little expenses, maybe there's income, they have this little bank account and that kind of helps them kickstart this little idea that they have. And so creative projects and community-based projects where I think I can hopefully have an echo effect, not just the positivity that I'm trying to share in my own videos, but maybe we can create these little communities around the world. And so that's incredibly exciting, inspiring project. And I'm, it's the perfect company to be working with long-term, great partner to have. Because I don't have any, there's no rules for me. It's here's $56,000. Give $1,000 away every week to whoever you think deserves it for this project. Okay. My rule is that I have to make a video about that. Okay. I'm already making videos about people who are inspiring to me. So here's a little extra and let's hang out. So next week I go on a road trip, Oregon, and we're shooting all these people who are affected by the fires, a bunch of photographers. They're selling the prints. The prints, all the money they make from the prints goes back to the communities that have been impacted by fire, wildfire relief. So that's just one example of a project, but there's projects all over that we're backing. So pretty exciting. And if people are listening or watching right now, can you still apply? You can still apply. Can we apply? You guys can apply. You should apply. We should get you guys backed by Braid right here on the podcast. So if you go to my YouTube channel. What if we pitch an RV trip? Or we just- Yeah, that could happen. That could happen. Okay. 100%. That all right. Happen. Just confirming. Because people are asking for season two, man. That could happen. 100%. I think season two would be unbelievable. The follow-up to our RV trip, like, yeah, let me we're know. just, yeah. Didn't it's, we talk about doing it in Japan or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Or no, no, Australia maybe. Yeah. I, I think know. we talked about both of those options. Yeah. I think we yeah. talked about Australia though, because we were chatting with someone who had, a, who had a lead there. Yeah. We were on, we were about to become van life creators until we got just slammed and roasted by that dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What was that guy's name? Dave. 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 Dave 2D. Love you, Dave. Dave 2D, right? Yeah. Not yeah, even yeah, 3D. Yeah. Just no. two. Just yeah. flat Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so you can so you, you can apply. Um, go to my YouTube channel. There's a video called I'm giving away a thousand dollars a week, or maybe it's called I'm funding your projects. I think I changed the title. You'll find it. Or go to braid.co slash BBB to find out more about the project, the process, how to apply. Watch my video and you can learn more about it. It's pretty, pretty cool. Is that braid.com slash big baller brand? Braid.co. C-O. Co. 
BBB is backed by braid. Okay, got it. Alliteration. Got it. I came up with that. Nice. I'm a poet and a scholar. You are a poet. I have one more question for you about YouTube. So like when you upload a video now, do you look at the ranking? You know how YouTube, like the dashboard gives you the ranking of like three out of 10 or four out of 10. Does that, does that hold any bearing in like your... No, not it's at all. stupid okay. because I, it, you think about it for a second, but here's an example. Like a video goes on YouTube, the algorithm you think if a video is performing well early on, they show it to more people. That's how it's supposed to work. I put out a video the other day. It's like this video is performing great, better than usual. Like this is your third best performing video. And then like, Two hours later, it's like, this is five. Now it's performing. It's like, what happened? Like, why, if it was performing so well, why did you stop showing it to as many people? Or Mm -hmm. like, you know, what happened to all the people who, like, why aren't my subscribers seeing this? If some subscribers are liking it, why aren't they? So it's like, you look at that stuff and it just makes you frustrated. And it's like, at the end of the day, YouTube's not going to show this to the people that care about my channel and want to watch my stuff. You got to find another way. They're just going to, keep doing their thing on the algorithm and just keep showing more people Mr. Beast videos or whatever. (laughs) That's fine. I thought maybe since I was giving away a lot of money that they would be like, oh yeah, this guy's like Mr. Beast. We'll show them. (laughs) They haven't shown a lot of people that video either. And I think that's like, you'd think that people would get value out of that. But maybe because the video encourages you to jump off YouTube and start applying and coming up with your idea that it's bad for YouTube. I don't know. Do you think YouTube's missing anything right now because of the algorithm? I think that they're missing curation. I think that there's a lot of good content on YouTube. And there's a lot of people who work at YouTube who support creators. Creators built the platform. I think there should be some degree of curation that exists where they have some kind of label or something where they say, this creator, we got to support them because they make good, positive stuff. Instead of just promoting kind of like a lot of probably a lot of garbage, some great stuff, but also like they get a lot of runway out of promoting garbage, promoting conspiracy theories, promoting stuff. that's like not good for people because it makes them more money. It's like you have unlimited money. You're Google. You're one of the biggest companies in the world. Like how about like leaning in a little, I'm, they're going to stop showing my videos. <laughs> how about the, the people in the algorithm room or right now have like a big like picture Jack of Jack coin and they're, they're like, like, Nope. Big X across your face. 100%. I think they do. <laughs> the, need, algorithm room. the algorithm room. <laughs> I do think I they need like exists. their version. <laughs> you mentioned the Vimeo staff pick before. And yeah. that's where like the staff at Vimeo would highlight, choose to highlight a piece that they thought was really good and they would do it frequently. And yeah. I feel like, yeah. I know YouTube has creator on the rise uh, that happens every once in a while, but I feel like they should be picking certain videos out too and elevating them. Like the staff, like having a staff pick would be but great. But isn't the trending page like relatively editorial? Yeah, but it's not like, picking someone necessarily from obscurity. They're not going to pick one of my videos and put it on there. Now. Not now. It's almost yeah. like there should be a different section but they outside did at of one the trending point. page. Yeah, they did at one point because was that, was, was, were my videos getting like played alongside Casey's videos? And that's why like... It's possible. I mean, the one thing we, we always talk about, it's so interesting, like Casey uploads, um, like his first upload back was on the trending page. And it was like a, it was a really cool video, but it was like a day in the life vlog. And the reason why I think that's significant is because those types of videos, if it's not Casey, don't really do well anymore on the platform. Uh, and so it's like very clearly, I think like YouTube being like this, this is awesome. Casey's uploading again. Everyone should know. Yes. But now that he's uploading again, his viewership is way down. 
compared to what it was. Compared to what it Why was, yeah. I think it's because, the, like what you said, like the, I mean, also like the platform is not as much built for the the kind of like daily vlogger anymore. It's built for Mr. Beast. Like yeah, I filled my brother's house with slime and then bought him a new one. Yeah, that's like, valuable for people to, right. like right, average human beings, it's probably good for them to watch that and become smarter. Right. Watching that <laughs> no, but like it's not as much for the like relatable every day. It's for the more fantastic. It's for the more yeah. sensational. It's it's like, it's a completely different platform now. Yeah. Um, and it may, might it be, be a product of the daily vlog era that at one point it was like, I can't watch daily life. These vlogs need to get better and crazier. Right. The flights need to get more expensive. I think Logan like, and Jake Paul, when they jumped into the daily space, elevated it big time into having to be sensational because they were essentially writing a lot of these concepts that were more sensational. And then you have Dobrik come in with these like wild characters and like all of a sudden the space changed overnight to being like people writing concepts to create situations for viral moments. His rather is than, so, such a bummer that it's gone because his is, is, even though there were some sensational parts of it, David Dobrik's pretty this is my life and come along yeah. for the ride. It just happens to be that his life is really dope and like yeah, cool life, and funny and like in, his friends are interesting. Well, it's funny because he makes it that way. Right. Yeah. Right. He creates friendship dynamics and creates right. things that happen that any group of friends could do for the most part. Sure. Maybe there's like 40 seconds of the vlog that most friends can't do. You can't have Kylie Jenner show up in your car. You can't have Justin Bieber. You can't give away a Tesla. He also isn't, doesn't sensationalize in the same way. I guess that Mr. Beast does. Like it's not, his video is not about, I filled my house with Orbeez and a billion thing, whatever. It's like that happens in his videos, but that's, he buries the lead. Right. Yeah. And he makes it more about, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this is the- The overall feeling that the video gives you. Mm-hmm. Do you think if he was on like, right now, going back to his same style, that it, viewership would be down or up? I, I personally think, I mean, if you really go back and look at David's videos right now, you're talking like 11 million views, like 11, sometimes 20, like wild viewership. Uh, I think he might fit more into like the 6 million, 7 million view range right now. But David's also, I think, like a unicorn and the way he storytells around anything is interesting. But I don't know that David would come back now because he has other outlets where he can do it, like between TikTok and uh IG stories, like it's like so unless it's he has hard. something, yeah, yeah unless I he think, has something to really make a video, YouTube video about now, like no reason to really. I feel like also I don't know what he thinks now, but I know in interviews he said something along the lines of like you know traditional celebrities want to come onto YouTube. He's like I kind of want to get off. He mentioned in one YouTube video uh, in an interview, and I yeah. think like he has a desire to be a little bit post-platform. And like not be tied to well, the hamster he wheel. He is on TV. He's yeah, on and he's there. TV. He's like he's doing it, right? Uh, and so now yeah. it's just almost like accelerated it. The fact that he stopped vlogging, it's like oh, I don't actually. Maybe I don't need to be on that hamster wheel. I don't need to search for that. Does TikTok steal viewership from YouTube? Does I, like increase? It steals. Know. It steals my viewership from YouTube. Like I yeah. personally love to sit and just scroll through TikTok because I think it's so much less predictable. And that's so exciting. It's just like, I don't know what's going to come. Uh, and then like, 
the algorithm just like so interesting to me. I'm like curious. There's like multiple narratives happening in my head of like, it's it's so much more like gambling where like you, you scroll up and like you have no idea what it's going to be. And if you spend your time on that, you'll get more of it. If you, you know, it's like, yeah. it's just so interesting. I think it's a symbiotic relationship because it's definitely taking watch time away from YouTube. But at the same time, it's also delivering watch time. Like if you look at the trending page, it's right. the Hype House, Charlie it's DeMille, the Sway House. Yeah. It's all of these stars that were built on TikTok that are now transitioning really well to YouTube and generating millions of views. And I think YouTube knows that too. They're like, it's time for us to have new stars. Like these are the new stars. Let's make sure that they're seen on our platform. Instead of us. Sway boys. <laughs> sway boys. Yeah, instead of us, man. We were the sway boys at one point. Well, you but- guys do a pretty good job of taking advantage of those YouTube supporting that like kind of like you guys are connect your videos to videos and get a lot of viewership yeah, yeah. that way, which is a huge driver of view viewership on the platform. hundred percent big part of how you guys think about probably like coming up with ideas is well 10 million people are going to watch this and yep. if our videos next to it 100,000 people if a million people are watching Eric and we put him on our podcast that video will show up and it's his face and us and people are going to say oh more Eric boom that's exactly correct yes yeah we, and now yeah. you guys know how yeah they do it. <laughs> you know how we come up with ideas but yeah we do think of it as like a funnel and we need to pick topics that have a massive top of funnel yeah. which is like like if you think about it, like Kylie Jenner has a ton of interest. So if we pick Kylie Jenner as a topic, we probably could get to a million views, right? Mr. Beast, same thing. Yeah, and I think our challenge then is like, all right, yeah, we've just used a pretty clickbaity title thumbnail. Can we make the experience of watching the video human? Like that's, I think, the challenge that we face. There's a little hide, hide the veggies in it, which is like a, a saying that the Yes Theory boys use a lot, which is like, you know, hit them with a really clickbaity thumbnail, but then make it a really good educational experience. And I think that's the same kind of thing that we look to do is we consider our videos educational. Yeah. Uh, And so like, if we can get you to watch, then we can educate you and leave you feeling, you know, inspired and empowered. Yeah. If you Uh, learn something, but you weren't expecting to learn something. Yeah. Then it's like a surprise and delight kind of situation where you're like, oh, that's a really clickbaity title. But like, I thought I was just going to watch Cardi B's OnlyFans, but I actually came out a smarter human being. Cardi B's OnlyFans. I remember texting you guys about that. Yeah. I was like, guys, Cardi to be his only fans. <laughs> you did. You're, you're our ghostwriter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're in our ear. Now you know. Yeah. <laughs> now you know where it all comes from. <laughs> a lot of our friends do. That one does well. Yeah. 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 That one did really yeah. well. It's like 400,000 views. Only fans, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic clickbait right there. By the way, that would have been Show really. Yeah. That'd be really funny if we went on uh, our RV trip and had extras on OnlyFans. What if I just started an OnlyFans? I think it'd be great. It would fit in with my look. Yeah. Colin has great hands. We could start an only hands. <laughs> if it would generate revenue, I'd be happy to put my hands on only hands. You get a hand model in your only fans. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's just called only hands. Just swap them out. All right. Get All in right. here. Yeah. Now's this part yeah. of the video. We're going to need to borrow your hands. My, my hands, your fans. Yeah. yeah something there. Yeah. Uh, something spicy. I do think there's a huge opportunity for a, a home appliance store right now to just be called only fans. <laughs> they just sell fans. Huge op. Huh. Yeah. It's just a big op. Like you just like, you can build a brand around it. It'd be super funny. And kids would be like, yeah, I'm down. I'll go buy a fan from only fans. Or you do a direct consumer brand that yeah, that's sells good. fans. It sells only fans. Yeah. Mm. And you promote it on only fans. You could set yeah. that website up tonight. Yeah. And just start making them in China and just selling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sell, yeah. Selling naked. Well, that's the end of all of our channels. And now we're going to sell fans. <laughs> You can also do a home. Only fans. Yeah, or like a home cooking brand that's like only pans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's so many. There's so much to do right now. Like just tap onto the trend. 
Should we go to In and Out right now, or are you guys down? <laughs> I, I'm down to eat something. I, I <laughs> yeah, feel like I'm it's. Hungry. T- I, I feel like we've rambled enough yeah. at the end of I this feel podcast. Like we may have already cut this podcast. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's a lot of value here. There's a lot, there is a lot of value. Here. This feels yeah. like it should be part of the exclusive section. This is like, like some sort f- of like we could put this on only. like a platform where you would pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. Oh, it's only, only fans. Yeah, it's only our biggest fans who we only talk about only fans. I think what we'll do is we'll keep this part as like the audio only, so the people who are listening, like at some point, the video will cut, and then if you want to hear our the rest of our conversation, you come here. But anyway, dude, it's great to have you here. Always a pleasure. You always have the desk here uh, at the Colin and Smear headquarters. You always brighten our day. Yeah, you always brighten our day, and that's because of your hair. And uh, <laughs> and strictly because of your hair, that's it. Only reason. Yeah. I'm just so excited to see what you're creating right now. Again, I just feel like it's just so you. Uh, and you. it's cool to see like the evolution from, from where we were to where we are and uh, exciting to see where we're going to go. If, if you have any ideas for me, Text me and let me know, and I'll just shoot them, make them happen. But but we'll do the RV trip for real. Yeah, yeah so, we got to do the RV. And trip. if you don't have Jack's number, you can just DM him ideas. Yeah, so. just DM me ideas. No, I was talking to you guys. I wasn't talking to the podcast. Yeah, but we took that. You guys, took that. Yeah, it's yeah, everyone we, who's watching. Can yeah, also, you don't have Jack's number? Just yeah. DM him on Instagram. <laughs> Nine ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See ya. That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. If you want to go check out Jack, you can check him out on YouTube. Just type in Jack Coin. That's J-A-C-K-C-O-Y-N-E. Type that into Instagram, Twitter. Um, definitely check out Jack across social platforms. And if you want to check out his production company, you can just type in Coin Brothers to Instagram. That's C-O-Y-N-E Brothers. Again, this episode was filmed. So if you are listening to this on the audio version of the podcast, definitely go check out our podcast channel. Um, We definitely appreciate if you commented on the video as well as subscribed to that channel. Thank you to everyone who already is subscribed to that channel and who has been an active member of that community. It's so cool to bring the podcast onto YouTube. It's been such a fun experience. We have some amazing guests and topics coming soon to the podcast, so definitely stay tuned. We're really excited about uh, being more regular here on our podcast. So thank you to Jack for joining, and thank you to all of you for listening. We'll see you back here for another episode of the Colin and Smear podcast.